Who says tech can't be human? What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. The world is changing. The world's changing because of AI. The world is changing because of data. And there's all this opportunity. So this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about how security, how technology can unlock growth, unlock growth for your business, but even unlock growth in unexpected ways like saving lives. And to discuss this topic with us, we've brought Derek Wood, Senior Director of Product Marketing at Duality. Derek, we've been trying to make this episode happen since February, but today is finally the day. Welcome to the show. We've done it. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. I'm going to try something daring right now, okay? Because when we talk about homomorphic encryption, I think a lot of people are a little fuzzy about what it is. So I'm going to try to explain it in the simplest term that I can. You let me know if I'm right and add any additional context that you might. So when you think about encryption, right, you think about uh, enclosure. You think about, you know, cloaking data in some type of way. So let's say you have a box and the encryption is that box and you put data in that box. And normally to change the data or interact with it, you have to open the box, change the data, then you put it back in the box. But with homomorphic encryption, you can change the data or interact with the data without opening the box, keeping it encrypted. Would you say that is close to what homomorphic encryption is? And would you say anything different? Super close. We're not okay. changing the data. So okay. What uh, what all the privacy enhancing technologies do, which the segment being led with privacy is kind of misleading because it addresses major security and governance issues as well as privacy, is it allows us to use data without having read access to it. So it doesn't have to move. Uh, you don't need to have another point of exposure of your data. So whether you're a custodian or a processor, these are these are big challenges. Um, because you're, you're inherently increasing your risk in any interaction like this. So the, the whole point of this segment of technologies is to remove that risk. It's to allow people to work with data to generate major improvements for the world in terms of healthcare uh, or for their business growth if they're trying to do better predictive analytics of customer behavior, but they're limited in, in how much data they have. And, and that's the big thing, right? Like we have the data economy and everyone's running into a data desert. There's just, you just need so much data to get accurate insights. Otherwise you're just doubling down on mistakes and no one wants that. So the only way to do it is we, you know, rather than the workarounds we've had before, like let's de-identify the data. Well, that, that's really valuable stuff. Um, you know, and then you have to go through these lengthy processes of making sure it's, it's properly de-identified or anonymized. And then you have to you know, negotiate what gets removed versus what stays so they can get partial benefit from using it. Now you don't have to go through that effort. You can go straight to just working out the computations on the data to get those insights. And you're working with full data context. You don't, it's not a subset. So your explanation, I think, was really beautiful. Just we're not changing the data. We're just using it. Just using it. Gotcha. So you, you mentioned privacy and also security. I think that there's often a disconnect when you bring those two elements up to someone in security. It could be someone in IT. 
What do you think it is that people don't understand about the importance and also the difference of security and privacy? Oh, you know, <laughs> it's such a, I mean, we could just start with security, right? Security is the old guard in this group of privacy and governance. And even being in the old guard, people still don't really understand uh, privacy. And, you know, in the in a webinar we did with uh, Tim Brown, CISO of SolarWinds, I thought he put it really nicely. And he said, you know, you, you don't put good brakes on a race car to go slower. You do it so you can go faster. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, that was a really good analogy because when someone wins a race, no one's asking about the brakes, right? Um, you know, these are these hidden heroes behind the scenes making sure that they can, um, you know, they can go into those corners as quickly as possible um, and still come out without crashing. And, you know, the same thing is really for, for privacy and governance. These are behind the scenes um, specialties that are absolutely critical, but are completely like this magical system that no one understands, right? Like, you know, like the number of times I've, I myself have had I told you so cupcakes where someone says, hey, can't you go fix this? And we said, well, you you denied the tool we need to fix these situations. What do you want me to do? And they're like, do your magic. Right. Um, and and there, there's no magic. Right. Like you need the right tool for the job. You need the right service. And, you know, they all work together so that you can you know, really drive your business forward without hitting a major snafu that maybe puts you out of business. You know, it's all coming together and we're slowly shifting and understanding that, you know what, everything we're seeing is we need security, privacy and governance to be as close to the data as possible. So how do we do that? Because the way we're doing it now is not working out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The way we're doing things now is not working out, but it seems like the mission at Duality is very future focused. At least that's what it seems. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey to duality. What was it about the mission that drew you in? What are you doing at duality? And what is that overall mission for duality today? So my, my background has been building like security and IT uh, related services, backup, DR, um, and cloud data security. And when I came across duality and they showed me the first instance of a, a way to secure data while you're using it. And it just blew me away. My, my first thought went, wow, this is gonna change the world. This is gonna be the type of technology that no one understands, but everyone uses every day because of how important it is to uh, handle data this way versus the way we've been doing it. Um, almost like a comparison of like, leeching compared to modern medicine. It's like, can you believe we used to send data around? Like send it. And then we used to just sign a contract saying, okay, we have no idea what's gonna happen after we do this, but you know, legally we're not liable. And then we'd be okay with that because we didn't have better options. And immediately I thought about the impact on healthcare. Um, you know, if you have real sensitive data like Tel Aviv Medical Center, we just posted a case study with them and the, comp the complexity behind them uh, working with other research groups and other uh, care providers in oncology for, for cancer research was such that they could only work with a few at a time and they were still working with quite limited data because they had to pull out a lot of that value um, to meet compliance regulations. 
And now they can work with many, many different organizations simultaneously across borders and in far less time than they could do previously. So it just like the, the advancements we're going to see when you combine other techs like generative AI with finally enough ac- like enough ability to use data. We're not, we're not providing access, we're providing the ability to use data, right? Like access is what we've removed. Like that's mm-hmm. the challenge. So it's, uh, for me, I, I've, I've never had a rewarding output of my work to the world, right? Like what does your work give mm-hmm. back to the world? Saving lives was not something I'd ever thought I'd be able to put down there. Um, so, you know, when, when I'm looking for motivation in organizations to join, it's typically team because I'm going to spend a lot of time with them yep. and that's going to dictate success. And then it's the mission. Is the mission something that motivates me and I can feel passionate about? And with duality, it was just check, check. We, we got the team, we got the tech, we got the mission. Um, now I'm very excited about it. So we got to roll things back a little bit because I think there's a lot to unpack. And I would love to also learn more about the saving of the lives. But first... You know, we're talking about data and also encryption and being encrypted, not having anyone to read it. A lot of the times when you open up Google Drive, you make a few assumptions. One, when you open a file in Google Drive that it's been encrypted, it's encrypted on Google server somewhere. And then you make another assumption once you interact with that file in Google Drive that it's still encrypted because you're using um, HTTPS or maybe the Google Drive application and all that traffic is is encrypted. So what are the misconceptions here? Because I think a lot of people may not appreciate homomorphic encryption, also what duality does, because they don't necessarily know how data flows from Google Drive to their computer and then to other places as well. You know, also coming from the birth of cloud backup, there was also a lot of confusion in, you know, when OneDrive and Box came out of like, well, isn't that also a backup? It's it's out here. Right. And in, and it is it is really tough, right? So the in any early adoption stage of new technology, there's a, there's a lot of education. And, uh, you know, you have to kind of reform your thoughts around like, encryption is what I use to stop people from accessing and using my data. Now we're coming out with an option to say, we have an encryption method that lets you use data securely. And so it, it's kind of a rewiring. Um, I think the simplest way to think about it, and you guys let me know if there's an easier way, is you, know, you really have three states of data. You have data at rest, so when it's being stored. You have data in transit, and then you have data in use. And until security for data at rest, you have different things like you encrypt it, locally, or maybe it's, it's wrapped in an encrypted container, but it's, it's actually open um, within that. You have options to make the storage immutable. So like you have with backups, so that ransomware can't come in and you know, mess with your backups. Um, so you, you have, we have a bunch of options for securing data at rest. And then data in transit, you know, everyone's pretty familiar with SSLs and you know, all these different uh, protocols for securely sending data so that you, know, you, you don't get sniffed um, as data is being moved around. But when it comes to data in use, we really were limited to process-driven solutions, right? We're going to remove the sensitive pieces of data so that if it does get exposed, we're kind of okay with it. 
Um, we're going to maybe go with like, a super protected environment, right? So like the old like deal rooms, the secure enclaves. Um, but there really was no technical way to say you can use it without exposure. Um, and I think that's the exposure, I think, is a big thing that people don't understand. Anytime you're exposing your data for use, whether it's through an application or you know, integration through a web browser, that, that's, an, that's another point of risk, right? Um, and so to use data, there's just been no technical solution until we had technologies like homomorphic encryption to come in and say, hey, you now can leave the data encrypted while it, it, to use it. it. It's now, you now have a solution. So that, that big open workaround ball we had to sign contracts for, we don't have to do that anymore. It, it seems like you all are really onto something really special. And when you look at the use cases for today and even use cases into the future, what, what are some of the use cases that homomorphic encryption and some of the even the other technologies that you all are building, what does that enable for technologists and creators and innovators in the space? So you know, Dan Daniela Kaforis is also on this uh, this webinar we did with Tim and she's the risk advisory and innovation lead, which is another like from risk advisory to innovation, right? Like it, it makes sense um, with technologies like these. Um, but you know, we're saying the same thing that she's saying um, from her perspective at Deloitte, which is for financial institutions trying to do a better job of their know your customer process. Mm -hmm. For financial institutions trying to actually collaborate to fight financial crime. Because um, right now it, it's really difficult. We have good goals, but the technology to support them actually doing a thorough KYC and also uh, like secure investigations is pretty limited. So with our platform for finance, you can now have a hub of, you know, internationally operated financial institutions, and you could do simple things that were improbable and very unlikely, like simple yes and no answers. Like, hey, Ron just came to our bank with a bag of money. Has anyone ever convicted Ron of a financial crime? Just asking, don't need to know who says yes. And the Swiss banks can't even acknowledge that question. Um, the question only gets answered like 30% of the time as it is, and usually gets answered six to eight months after it's asked. So it's not even useful. So now we have hubs of these banks and I'm working on being able to go public with <laughs> all the banks involved in this. Um, but now they can all ask each other these simple yes, no questions of uh, just to better protect themselves um, during their KYC process. And then furthermore, they can, they can collaborate on their investigations because we're, we're the only privacy technology company that has a um, 314B association so that we're allowed to um, be involved when, with the transfer of, of this sensitive financial information. So that, that's finance. And, and, and finance typically has kind of leading edge security development because they, they've got a lot of money and they need to protect it. Um, the next biggest is in healthcare and specifically with research. A, a, a lot of people don't understand like when they go to their pharmacist, why their pharmacist doesn't have very much information as far as why they're getting prescribed, what they're getting prescribed. They don't have visibility into all these different things that you would like as a layman, if you're not involved in the industry, you would think like, don't you guys talk anyone? 
um, but you can. And so all the research that goes into improving uh, like cancer identification, um, linking cancer identification to genomic data, like we did with Dana-Farber, um, or looking at cancer treatments to see how we can improve these things. It's all based on being able to analyze what they call real world data. And this is the data that's collected by the institutions that we as patients interact with, the hospitals, the care facilities. And so the researchers have a really hard time getting this data. And this was really apparent and kind of frustrating during the COVID pandemic, because I remember, like, I don't want to put the number out there because I think it needs to be segmented a little better, but it was an absurd a certainly high percentage of COVID treatment studies that just were closed because they couldn't get a statistically relevant sample of data for a global pandemic. So like you take something that's impacting the whole world and these institutions can't get enough data to use to get any value out of it. How are they making progress on less common diseases, right? And so by, open, by unlocking this collaboration, by building in security, privacy, and governance by design, I mean, the, the future of uh, progress and innovation in healthcare is, is really quite bright, like, especially when you have you know, the, the AI tools behind it that can finally get fed the data they need to work. I'm gonna jump in here for a second because throughout the episode, Derek mentions a webinar that his company Duality hosted. Duality is changing the game when it comes to securing data and use with security, privacy, and governance built in by design. Whether you work in healthcare, financial services, or really any industry that uses your data for products or services, then you gotta check out Duality. Their solutions can help you unlock your data so that internal teams and partners can run analytics securely without the worry of someone walking out of the front or back door with your data. Grab your data scientist and go check out the webinar. You can find the link to the webinar in the show notes or description wherever you're listening. Now let's jump back into the episode. My healthcare understanding is limited. Uh, my wife was a former physical uh, pelvic floor physical therapist, and she would say that it was very hard to share information. She would say things like, oh, it's because of HIPAA. Oh, it's because the systems aren't connected. But my question is why? Why, why can't you share the data? Is it because of HIPAA or is there other factors at play? Yeah, it is, it is because of HIPAA. So HIPAA is one of the older, if not oldest, uh, privacy regulations for, for data, which makes sense because it is quite sensitive. Um, and uh, there's a really good uh, story that goes back to doctors using data after a woman de was deceased to find like significant breakthroughs in her care. And it brought up a big, a big ethical discussion of like, you know what, she like, yeah, this was good for the world and the community, but she didn't give permission to do that. Mm. Uh, and so you have this, this ethical um, and privacy angle when you're talking about uh, identifiable information, especially when it's as sensitive as healthcare information. So what typically has to happen for healthcare organizations to communicate is they need just cause. So if, if it's one institution that has you and they're providing direct care and they need to contact your general practitioner to get real sensitive information, they're allowed. 
it's slow because they have to fax things over and they use like outdated uh, technologies to do this, but they're allowed to share it. If it's indirect, then you have to go through a de-identification process where you have to remove a lot of that valuable data. You then have to have someone who is certified to come in and rubber stamp that, yes, this is this data set's properly de-identified. And, and that can take some time. And if you have multiple people involved in the process, it just amplifies the complexity and the time because you, know, you don't have to remove all the same components. You just have to remove enough where it's very hard to re-identify who this person is. Uh, you have your care providers in the front line. Um, you have your patients and all the wearables that they might have. You have the insurance providers who have claims data and uh, a lot of like population information. You have the pharmaceuticals behind that. Uh, you have research orgs and uh, like and like uh, medical universities, and not a single one of them has a full picture, right? And then the care providers, like you could even divide it between your dentist, your GP, your physical therapist. You know, we know dental health affects heart health, but those two can't talk. Is it because they're indirect, like you were mentioning? It's because they're indirect. And if you look at what CVS is doing, um, a lot of the acquisitions we're seeing is because acquiring these different pieces of the healthcare ecosystem is allowing them to centralize all of this health data. And they've launched their health lakes. So what they're working on is um, really on the basis that homomorphic encryption and these types of technologies weren't options when they put the plan together. So they've spent billions, uh, billions have been spent in acquisitions just to use data, right? Like that's really what's happened. Um, of course you have like corporate growth and expansion and, and, and customer base acquisition, but like the, if you look at what they've presented, uh, it's all so that they can finally work together and collaborate with their data to provide better customer outcomes and patient outcomes. Obviously, what you all are working on is very, very complex. I'm thinking, obviously, you need leadership. You need Alan Turing level intelligence. Who are some of the, the leaders at the company and what are the, the big products or the big innovations that you all are working on today? You know, I'm I'm typically not the smartest person in the room. And that truth has never been more true than here at Duality. Uh, it, it's really an impressive group of people. Uh, we, we have the world's leaders in privacy technology as our founders, as well as on our uh, engineering team. So like Shafi Goldwasser, um, she won her Turing Award for creating zero knowledge proofs, right? So then that, that's been pretty much the the basis of a, of a lot of technology um, that we've seen over the last 10 years. Um, you know, the our open source homomorphic encryption library, which is openfhe.org, is among the world's leading library for this sort of technology. And, and Google used it um, for their recent FHE compiler release. So they announced last August that they were going to be using it. Uh, and then just last month, they released their, their first version of their compiler to help other people use this technology. Um, so it, it's really a very, very impressive uh, group of people, um, almost, almost comically so. Like the amount of PhDs we have lined up in the halls of our engineering room is, is really uh, 
something to to marvel at. Nice. It reminds me of Intel a little bit. Like Intel had a lot of PhDs. They had a lot of people that also wrote patents. Like there was pretty much teams that were just focused on doing as much research as they can, writing a patent or sharing that information back into the open source. And when we originally spoke about duality and some of the capabilities, you know, we we talked about some of the homomorphic benefit, like from uh, protecting the presentation of data, protecting the uh, readability of the data. But there's also a lot that you mentioned about compute. And like that's an area that I think isn't really spoken about in the context of encryption, but also collaboration. So after you do your computation, how do you share that information with others? Uh, what is your approach at Duality? So every everything uh, really started out with the approach of security, privacy, by design, like this needs to be default functionality and not have to require a bunch of plugins and workarounds afterwards, right? Um, so we have kind of to oversimplify uh, the platform. Everything is based first off of a privacy and security layer. Um, this is where homomorphic encryption, this is where secure multi-party computation, um, federated learning, hardware-based technologies like trusted execution environments. And we, we build all that there and, and we combine it um, depending on the use cases that our clients uh, need to satisfy. So if you have, you know, cause it's different if it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship, pretty, pretty simple. But what if you have say like a, uh, a group of risk and resilience leaders like we have and they want to pull out their security benchmark data and loss data, but they don't want to expose it to anyone because who would want to give the blueprints to the Death Star out, right? Um, mm -hmm. Reason there was a mission to get that back from the rebels. Uh, so, you know, finally there was a solution where they could say, okay, well, the data is going to stay in my environment. It gets encrypted here, and then we get we we can all make different queries and uh, run analyses. Or you could have a central analyzer run a model that also maybe their model they don't want to get out, right? Because a lot of times you'd say, "Well, we're not going to give you our data, but we're happy to take your model and run it on the data, then give you back all the results." And then that company says, "Well, you know, that model is our IP. Like if that gets out, so goes our business." So they're at an impasse. So you have solutions now where you can you can have this uh, more secure version of federated learning. You could have more impactful uh, use of things like TEEs. So you look at like um, using generative AI, but how do you use it um, and maintain the privacy and security of the data you're feeding it, right? So we're going to be announcing in the next couple months here where, where we can now allow that to happen and, and really making it very simple. You're not going to need development resources to set up the environment. Just a couple of clicks, it's up and running, and then it's, it's really up to your data team to do their work. So the second layer, and, and I kind of skipped over, but so that's the base layer everything works through. But then we had to build a computation layer because you can't just run things normally. Right. So that's why having our open source engine for FHE is not a competitive issue for us. Uh, frankly, it makes it makes that technology better to have people uh, have the ability to go test it out and see that, yeah, it is being encrypted. And no, I can't get to it. Um, and 
And to us, that's just uh, kind of table stakes if you're going to be a serious player in privacy and security. Um, also, it's a lot of work to build out those libraries, right? So like when it comes to just basic queries, it's all Python based, pretty easy. Um, when it comes to doing statistical analyses or even more advanced like survival analyses like we do with, with healthcare research, um, we need to build that in to support the privacy or security technology that's being used. And that takes time. So that's why we have a dedicated computation engine, whereas, you know, most, if you look at any, like the data and analytics and AI platforms, most of them are based on like, oh, just bring in your own plat your own Python. It's no big deal. Um, you know, but for, but when you want to do it with privacy and security, uh, satisfied by default, there's a little bit more work into it. And then the, the, la the final layer is the collaboration layer. So now you can do things like first, your, your basic governance. I see, I can invite whoever I want um, to be a part of this collaboration. I can define and limit what they're allowed to do with the data, right? So I, and that's down to the computation level and also the frequency. So you can make sure you have all those controls in place. Um, the, the security and privacy stuff really are just guardrails at this point. It, it's by default of using the platform. So that becomes super easy. Um, the other collaboration management items that help the data teams just speed up the work are things like, you know, when you have multiple disparate data sets and you want to join them or link them together, you're going to have to do some schema discovery and matching and then mapping. And this is usually a lot of back and forth, and then you might have to copy your data set and then make a change to that data set schema just for this project. I feel like that's the majority of the work. You know, that seems to be the case. You know, most, most of the data guys I talk to, they say, well, I spend most of my time trying to find data and trying to figure out how to do my work. And then sometimes I get to actually be a data scientist. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's... Um, and that's, that's what all of our case studies have come back saying that as well, right? Like uh, we had a great quote from uh, Dr. Gusev at Dana-Farber Dana Cancer Institute. And he said, you know, we, with duality, we get to skip all of this red tape because it's handled by default. And we just get to focus on doing the computations. Like that's it. We just, we get to jump right in. Um, schema mapping and management, it's all done on the software. We don't have to duplicate data sets which means if we need to update the data set, it's super easy because it's not a, a unique schema that we have to match in the back end. So it really just makes the whole process uh, far more effective. And you know, for pharma companies, um, you know, that six, six to eight months that they save, that can be billions of dollars when you're talking about go to market time, right? That's serious time. Um, from the research perspective, they may not understand the business implications of cutting their research time down by six months because maybe it's been going on for three to five years. Um, but as far as like getting to market and the, the impact of their research, serious money is at hand. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad you touched on the, the AI impact because, I mean, there's so many different projects and companies forming every single day focused on AI and they're utilizing incredible LLMs, they're using all this data, all this information. What are some of the, the, the key points that you think that the, the new entrepreneurs, the new researchers that are utilizing AI, generative AI, LLMs, what are some of the impl implications of what you all are doing uh, might affect them and their work? 
they're going to be able to actually do their work is essentially what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I was at Gartner in March and one of the big themes was, you know, the emergence of synthetic data. And why was that important to everyone when, you know, generative AI and ML and LLMs were also like right up there? It's because they know they can't get the data they need. And so synthetic data becomes a really nice second option. It's the best option they had heard of. And so they're thinking, oh, great, we can do, we can develop these models and train and tune these models with synthetic data. And, and while that's, you know, for a lack of a better option, yes, we've been doing that with de-identified data for years. Um, but now you get to actually use synthetic data in a more appropriate part of the data science workflow. And in our workflow, you'll use the synthetic data set at that point. But then when you actually go to train, you're training on the real stuff. Mm -hmm. Training on synthetic data is, is very well documented. And it's just not that it's just not that ideal. Like it's good for tuning. But, you know, in a world where every business is differentiated uh, by its AI model or ML model being used to make decisions in product and services and offerings, the only way to separate yourself is going to be by the data you're feeding it. Mm -hmm. And everyone's running into a data desert, right? And I don't think, and most people don't understand the data desert because there's so much data. How could we possibly not have enough? And maybe you guys have a better story, but I always point to Apple's first facial recognition release as a data, as an example of a data desert, right? Like, how is it that Apple, the largest company we've ever had in the world, didn't have enough data to be accurate for different skin tones. Right. So when you, when you think about that largest company in the world didn't have enough data for, for this, what does that mean for everyone else? Right. Of course we don't have enough data. You got to go to third parties. And so this is, this is a big deal. And one of the problems, especially if you're talking about sensitive data is even you have these big data aggregators, Right? And their whole model is to collect a bunch of data, bundle it up for certain industries, and then sell it. Um, they're still limited in who they can sell to. Uh, and it becomes very complicated for the uh, client as well, because they have to take all this risk. Maybe they can't. Um, so moving towards a platform like ours, it just like really it unlocks the very necessary data collaboration of the future of AI and LLMs and, and all of this. It's just, um, without this sort of technology, there really is no way to move forward accurately. We're just gonna be automating mistakes. For sure. You know what, there's, um, hopefully there's someone that's really curious to get started because I look at this as an opportunity to change healthcare. You could change the financial uh, technology. You could change the financial institutions. But I think, you know, there is also that opportunity to share or monetize your data as well. But for anyone that wants to get one step closer to being able to unlock that data opportunity to get out of a data desert, what would be that one piece of advice for you to them for where to start? I'd say just visit our website and, and talk to some of our specialists. Right? So it's uh, we have you know, a team of data scientists that uh, in solution architects that can look at what you're trying to do and 
prescribe how it would work in your environment. And, you know, you can also take a look at some of the case studies we've had. Um, the thing I really like about the Tel Aviv Medical Center case study, as well as the ICO guidelines that just came out, which most Americans may not be familiar with, but that's the UK's privacy regulatory body. And they just came out recommending the use of pets when trying to satisfy UK GDPR requirements. And we put that case study together with them based on our platform. So when you're reading like the homomorphic encryption part of that guide, that's, that's work done with duality. Outstanding, Derek. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us and share with us all the great things that you're doing, you know, pushing encryption, pushing technology. Uh, for the folks that want to learn more about Derek, more about duality and more about homomorphic encryption, drop into wherever you're listening or watching this into the show notes. We have all the links right there. And if you know someone that's on the cutting edge of technology and needs this information to do their job better, be sure to share it with them. We would greatly appreciate it. And with that, we will see everyone next time.